This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hey all got another Art History Babes reboot for ya. This episode was originally released August 4th, 2016, and we decided to get it back out to ya this week in honor of Artemisia Gentileschi's birthday. She was born in Rome July 8th, 1593. So happy birthday, Artemisia! Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Ginny. I'm Jen. And we are the Art History Babes. Today we're going to be talking about Artemisia Gentileschi. Oh, that hot babe. <laughs> but before we do, Ginny, you went to SF MoMA recently. How was that? I did. It was an experience. It was so crowded. It was crazy. But it was good. It was kind of an odd start to my time in the museum because I went into one of the bathrooms on the main <laughs> floor and it was painted bright ass red like yeah. every every single surface was painted this like candy apple red and it kind of hurt my brain a little Whoa. bit talk like coming well color theory was a while ago but i was like oh this jars me <laughs> this doesn't make me feel calm yeah yeah it's like an aggressive um, in your face yeah color yeah and like i don't know i don't know if i want that when i'm in the bathroom. I think Nat I think Nat has a selfie of her in that bathroom. Oh, yeah. And it, it's really like mysterious and she cool took, looking. She took a cool mysterious selfie. Yeah, I did bathroom. see I did see people taking selfies in there at the sinks. I will definitely take a selfie yeah, in that me bathroom. Too. I think yeah. we should do like a like a group selfie. <laughs> Yeah. In the bathroom. No, we'll each do our own and we'll do like tiles. Compare. It'll be great. We'll do, yeah. Oh, man. That's going to be lit on Instagram. <laughs> so lit. So lit. But, um, yeah, no, it was it was really cool. It's seven floors, so it, it's a lot. Uh, I Damn. certainly didn't do all of that in one day. I mean, even in being like an art lover, museum fatigue, it's real. It's out there. Oh. And we need to talk about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um. But yeah, I mean, I still got to see like a, a decent amount of the museum and it's it's very like crisp and clean. It's all this like blonde kind of white wood stairwells and white walls. So it has that kind of like clean look to it. Oh, but speaking of it. like as we're recording this, it's Duchamp's birthday. And I saw <laughs> and I saw so many urinals mounted in the MoMA. Um, there were Do you mean fountains? Yes. <laughs> Works of art. Um, I found like there were a couple by this artist named Robert Gober. Maybe it's pronounced the French way Gobert. Gobert. I don't know. <laughs> I hope it's Gobert. Um, sounds cool. But those were for him, he just had two white urinals mounted to the wall. And then I found this just gem of a urinal that is the exact, <laughs> it looks exactly like Duchamp's fountain, but it's like gold, which is really kind of cool. And um, that is by an artist named Sherry Levine. And so that was cool. So that's just like a little connection with Duchamp. Aww. But um, overall, it, it was it was a great time. There's a lot, a lot to see there. A lot of Andy Warhol, I was telling these girls before we started recording, there's one of Andy Warhol 
of just his face and it's like camo print mm-hmm. and I and I walked up to it and I just laughed and I was like Andy you look fucking goofy yeah. <laughs> but um yeah it was a good time it was cool awesome um we should also give Nat a mm. shout yeah, out yeah Nat's not with us today we miss you Natalie we miss you baby hope you're having fun living it up you know <laughs> I think she's in Malibu right now maybe Jeez. probably Jeez. <laughs> Jeez, Nat. Um, but anyways, okay, so Artemisia Gentileschi, a little bit of a trigger warning. Uh, we will be talking about some rape and some violence in this episode, as it is kind of central to her biography um, or conceptions of her biography anyways. So heads up, if that is a problem for you, you might want to skip this episode. But we won't be talking about en- anything in any sort of like graphic detail, but it will just be regularly discussed but yeah so without further ado artemisia okay so just to give a little bit of backdrop on artemisia gentileschi she was born in 1593 in italy and she was the daughter of uh, another painter named orazio gentileschi and A lot of painters, female painters that are known today from like the Renaissance and the Baroque, this is often the case where they're born into a family where a father typically is a trained artist and then they are kind of then trained themselves. But she is significant for many reasons, which we will get into. But most particularly, she is the only female follower of Caravaggio, who, if you remember Caravaggio, he was one of our stars in the Bad Boys of the Baroque episode. He was quite the bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) So she was a follower of Caravaggio and painted in his style, but really made quite the name for herself as a female painter during the 17th century in Italy, which was certainly not an easy thing to do nevertheless be successful at it so she had the good fortune to be also active in rome which Mm -hmm. was a very advantageous place to be as we have discussed caravaggio yeah um worked his way to rome um in order to further his career and so that was a little piece of yeah of of good luck for for sure for sure And, you know, she is by no means the only specifically, like, Italian female artist from the Renaissance and the Baroque period. She's just the one that we're going to cover today. But just to give some little shout-outs to some of the other lady artists from around that period. uh, Sofonispa Anguissola. Oh, beautiful name. Lavinia Fontana, Barbara Longhi, Elisabetta Serrani, Onorota Rodiani, who actually had a promising career and then she murdered a companion that tried to rape her so uh, her career kind of sidelined a little bit but autocorrect her first name is not properties but (laughs) but my name my phone changed it (laughs) it's propensia but um de rossi (laughs) so those are some other ladies that deserve some shout outs and that we could very well get into in future episodes but Artemisia, this one's for you, girl. Yeah, and you know what's great about Artemisia is that we are so fortunate in our modern-day art historian world, and Mm. we know so much about Artemisia because of the extensive written record surrounding her life. Mm -hmm. Big part of that written record is the high-profile rape that Artemisia Gentileschi experienced 
in her lifetime and it becomes one of the central themes that shapes a lot of her work side note that's not really true that's what the art historians so far have said about her work and that's how Well, it is true the rape is true no no the rape is true but what i mean is that the the idea that her work was shaped by her rape is a story that has been perpetuated throughout the years and has been the popular story among historians who write about artemisia and so that's what we're going to talk about today is really how it it doesn't do her justice and i don't think that it's fair to sort of think of her work through this lens as like a survivor but we're gonna deconstruct that a little bit like most women she is so much more than her relationships with men yeah yeah. So the way that most accounts of Artemisia's life have gone in what we've seen so far is that her life and her career are sort of wrought with this idea of her sexuality being like central to her life. And historians really identify her as a, a rape survivor. Right. And so therefore, even feminist approaches to Artemisia's life center their discussion of her life around being a rape survivor. And so it's a lot of this idea that she developed a feminist consciousness after her rape and that that expresses itself in her paintings. Some of her most famous works are biblical scenes and two big ones that we're going to talk about today are Judith beheading Holofernes and Susanna and the Elders. Mm-hmm. So these are mm-hmm. two big works of Artemisia that we we think of her and these works when yeah. you associate them. And, and she was very fond of these subjects and would paint them mm-hmm. several times. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, the thing that's interesting with Artemisia too is that I read one particular, it's very short, we'll post on the website... The title is great. Uh, it's called My Heart Belongs to Daddy, the fictionalization <laughs> of Baroque artist Artemisia Gentileschi and contemporary film and novels. Oh, my God. And this, you know, just kind of goes into the fact that, you know, Artemisia Gentileschi wasn't really that popular, like, in the art world, in the art historical world, particularly, like, kind of popular culture until, like, the 90s. And this was when books began you know, people were writing books about Artemisia and they were kind of like historical fiction. And she does have a very interesting biography, that's for sure. But this kind of leads to this somewhat like fictionalization of her or rather a way of looking at Artemisia Gentileschi that is very much from like a 20th, 21st century perspective. And the author of this article makes a really good point where they say, you know, these thematic constructs used by current writers to refashion a 17th century woman into a contemporary celebrity, which I think is really interesting and a good way of kind of summing up some of what we're going to talk about and really trying to understand Artemisia Gentileschi and study and talk about her in a way that is fair to her as she was as an artist and a woman during the 17th century. So that's kind of what we're going to get into. Yeah. 
So on that whole sort of looking at Artemisia's life and her experience through a 20th and 21st century lens, I think it's important to point something out, which is that the way we think of Artemisia's rape is very much shaped through this modern lens where, generally speaking, in like 21st century society, we we think of rape as this action that it harms the body and it it harms your reputation but but it crucially it it attacks the self and it does so by violating private boundaries that we have about mm-hmm. our, our bodies and um so when you violate these private boundaries you are therefore violating the self and the conception of the self and that is a very damaging thing for just you know your your most basic yeah ego and yeah. and and well-being and so that is very much a 20th century lens to rape that that we have today and 20th 21st century it's still weird saying that gosh i know i'm mm. i still write 2015 yeah <laughs> <all> the time, <laughs> so. uh, <laughs> well and so it's Remember that in the 17th century, which is when Artemisia was alive, many people saw their physical bodies as somehow lesser than the spirit. So Mm -hmm. very much like this Mm -hmm. Christian sort of worldview that dominates, especially in Rome. Oh, like the capital of the Christian. Well, the Catholic world. Yeah. So... For people in 17th century Rome, their personal identity would be composed of several elements. Many of those are external, and they weighed much more heavily than the internal. So, that being said, the effects of a rape could very much ruin someone's reputation and really limit how much a woman in the 17th century could really move around in society, and, and it would very much damage your success especially as a a woman artist right yeah it was like taking away your value because you know at the time like being a virginal bride was pretty vital you know (laughs) like that was that was like your trade like it was all kind of you know this property based like value that you know, if you were chaste and if you were pure, then like you would be a good bride and then you would be, you know, married and be a part of your husband's family and get taken care of in that way. So if that gets removed, then that in a sense can remove your value, depending. Of course, there were loopholes. Right. But, but you know, you could have a very difficult life after a rape in in the world of of the external image that really dominated the 17th century Roman social scene, however you want to think of it. So without getting into too much detail, Artemisia was raped by an associate of her father's who forced himself upon her. And then after, due to her obvious rage and indignation of of having been violated, promised to marry her. And that is where the whole thing becomes a, a written, a very well-documented written account of all of the events after this is available to us. And that is because the man who raped her and then promised to marry her then 
just kind of backed out, right? This <laughs> <laughs> was like, oh, you know. Um, well, he was already married. Yeah, he was already married, and his wife was like missing or something. Yeah. She like left him probably because he's a terrible raper. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> he's a terrible guy, and and a he, horrible human being, and he rapes, and and he needs to you know not have a wife because it's terrible. And anyway, so he doesn't marry her and therefore he is taken to court and there is a very lengthy lengthy trial and a lot of the trial consisted of Horatio trying to make sure that this marriage would take place mm-hmm. and a lot of the reason is because a lot of his reputation is on the line insane. as well yeah, yeah so the Which thing. is so fucked up when you I think know. about that, that like, okay, oh, cool. Her dad's like, you know, going to take him to trial and it's going to be this whole thing. But the end game was that for them to actually get married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is just crazy to because think about Because it's, I now. mean, yeah, it's the whole thing about she's her father's property. Right. Until she's another man's property. So so her father has something to to lose in terms of you know her being a commodity and like it's just all so messed up well and so here is where like we get to the gist of what what really was at the heart of artemisia's struggle during this entire ordeal was that artemisia was ultimately concerned with restoring her good name and reputation because she wanted to be a successful artist and she wanted to be able to support herself and be successful. And so therefore, it's not that she shouldn't be recognized as having strength for being a right. survivor of a brutal violation of her yeah. body, but also she should be thought of as a strong woman because she not only overcame sexual assault, but she managed to reclaim her dignity and restore her good name and restore a reputation where she actually had a pretty successful life. And for a woman in the 17th century, Mm -hmm. she did very well for herself. And so I think that what's a good takeaway here is to think of strong women as resourceful women. And I I really think that that best characterizes Artemisia and the way that she handled this situation is that she ultimately wanted to restore her reputation. Yes. And, And so the problem is that so far, most of the written account of Artemisia's life really looks at her career as a sort of like art therapy yeah, for having experienced a traumatic event. And that is where we have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because while, you know, Artemisia has been long dead, so none of us can know for sure all of her motives for the paintings that she made, but I do think... It's important to view Artemisia Gentileschi as a professional painter and that because that was her profession, she was a businesswoman and she was very savvy in doing what she did. And I think, you know, it's pretty evident that she was very conscious of what she did with her paintings and applying them to the patrons that she was working for at the Mm -hmm. time, the cities she was working in. 
and, you know, kind of the audiences that she was trying to target with her works. And I think that that is, in my opinion, a less biased and kind of more like uh, scholarly approach to looking at Artemisia Gentileschi's work and her career as an artist. And it also is a way to look at her as someone outside of her sexuality, because that's right. a big problem is that this idea that she is just intertwined with her sexuality, that the sexuality really comes to define her identity yeah. in, in speaking of her as somebody who was creative and made art because yeah. of having right. experienced this traumatic event. Right. Which just doesn't seem fair, really. You know, she she was born into a family where her father was an artist and she was around that life and trained in that life before she was even raped. Of course, you know, something like that could have an effect on the work that she made, but just looking at her through that lens is too reductive. Yeah, and with that in mind, we want to talk about a couple of her works so one of her most famous works was painted in 1610, and it's called Susanna and the Elders. And in this story, Susanna is... So this is a, a biblical scene, and Susanna is bathing in a garden, and the elders are these two men, and they're essentially peeping toms, and they're watching her bathe. She is nude, and they are being um, very gross, um, and they are violating her personal space, and it's very disgusting. It's, Dirty old men. Oh, absolutely disgusting. Anyway, <laughs> so in this story, they're peeping on her, and then they proposition her. And she refuses their proposition. So being then very upset, mm -hmm. they go on to um, try and soil her reputation. And they spread rumors that, you know, she had sex with them. And she's married in this story. And so yeah, she's... I think so. She's married or she's betrothed yeah, yeah. or something. She, she's and, married, I'm pretty sure. She's and taken. Because of this... They decide to put her to death for adultery, and she is found not guilty right before she is killed. And oh, so it's this very like, oh my gosh, just a terrible story. And in this story, many art historians have wanted to attribute her choice of subject matter to this sort of like cathartic mm -hmm. action right. of of painting a scene where a woman's word is not um, worth anything. Right. And, and she has to fight to restore her dignity. And, right. and so it's very easy to mm -hmm. think of this subject matter as being influenced by what she's experienced in her real life. But that's very reductive. And I think that the modern day conception is that more of these scenes were, I think, Gentileschi. Is it Gentileschi or Gentileschi? How do you pronounce Gen that? Gentileschi. You got it. Yeah. Okay. So we can think of this choice in subject matter not only as a scene of a woman who does ultimately come out on top, right. but um, also these paintings end up becoming popular um, yeah. because she <laughs> she does them so good yeah. that 
she starts to, I believe, paint subject matter that she's going to get paid for. Yeah. So they're... savvy. Yeah. And the painting's really interesting. She's shown as, as having an understanding of real female anatomy. The breasts have gravity. And that's wonderful. Um, I, I like to see that as opposed to the bolted on look yeah. uh, by some of our favorite uh, Renaissance artists. And it also demonstrates this understanding of a female position in male society. For sure. And so there's a lot going on here. Um, and we should also discuss Judith and Holofernes. How about we do that right after we take a break? We're going to take a break. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. All right. What are we? What are we getting into? Judith slaying hello for me. Hello for me. I'm sorry. It's it's not that funny, but it's it's kind of funny. Judith slaying Holofernes, also known as Judith beheading Holofernes, because that's how she did it. Yeah, um, so she slayed um, <laughs> by beheading. So we're still on the subject of Artemisia's work being understood as this sort of art therapy. And we're not down with that. Um, so <laughs> we're continuing on that route. So Judith beheading Holofernes, this work was completed between 1614 and 1620. Mm-hmm. And it is depicting the story from the book of Judith in the Old Testament, which recounts the assassination of an Assyrian general. His name was Holofernes by an Israelite who is Judith. And the painting is depicting the moment when Judith having snuck into the enemy camp and having got Holofernes very, very drunk with yeah. wine, nevertheless. <laughs> uh, Naturally. Yes, yes. And so he gets very, very drunk and he falls asleep. And Judith is accompanied by her maid servant, Abra. Mm. And she grabs a sword and props herself up on the bed of the general and starts to hack away at his neck. <laughs> The way that you... <laughs> that was perfect. It kind of <laughs> sounds like she had like a like a axe or something, like so, hacking away. And God, you know, just I just I'm sorry. I just saw um, Fatal Attraction the other night <laughs> for the oh first God. time. I had never watched Classic. it, and I was just blown away. Glenn Close, you are a hot babe. Anyway, I'm sorry. Back to this. So in the story, you know, Judith is attempting to seduce Holofernes and she gets him very drunk. And the whole point is that she's going to kill him. And um, <laughs> Artemisia did not 
tone down the violence or anything for the that gore. matter yeah, in no. this painting. And so that's why my very graphic account makes a lot of sense if you're looking at this painting. Um, <laughs> but it's such a great work. So we are going to compare it to the painting by Caravaggio mm. of the same mm-hmm. of the same theme, which was right. a very popular theme, actually. Totally. And in Caravaggio's depiction, Judith is shown kind of, like, disgusted. Like, she's kind of like, ugh. And it's so hard. It's, yeah, like, she looks, she looks kind of just like, ew. Oh, God. Um, and and it, 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 you really do get that vibe um, that, that she's very much, like, grossed out by yeah. it. And, and what's funny is that that's kind of the version that most of us know. It's the most popular one by Caravaggio. And and Abra, the maidservant, is this like very old, like crony. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And um and but in Artemisia's version, both Abra and and Judith are are young and strong. They have thick forearms and yeah. they look like we're here to get this shit done. Yeah. <laughs> we um, got work to do. Yeah, Abra is shown um from above and she's just on top of him and he's trying just really He's got her hand he's, his hand yeah. like her throat. Yeah, like he's, she's unfazed. And and his <laughs> hand is huge too. It, yeah. you know, it's like the size of her head. Yeah. And and Judith is shown on the side and she's got her knee propped up on the bed and it's very much like you really get the sense of the force that it's taking. Yeah. To cut this dude's head off. So it's a very different treatment of the same subject matter. And I think that that's really important to think about because the way that this painting has been thought of, once again, is Judith's... Judith is kind of representing this, like, rage Mm -hmm. that Artemisia supposedly fosters towards maybe males after having endured this experience um, of the rape and ensuing basically like humiliation um, of a very public trial. Yeah. So it's easy to read the painting in that light. But I think that what we're seeing here is a very like visceral moment of a woman who really just needed to complete a task, which was (laughs) kill this guy. Yeah. um, Yeah. And she shows like, no emotion. Like, she is very unfazed. She's right. just, like, doing her work. Yeah. She's just like, yeah. how to kill this dude, and that's what she came here to do. Yeah. She's got her sleeves rolled up, and she's taking care of business. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And it's a great painting. It's in, And you really get the sense of the effort that it takes to do this, and, and she's composed, she's focused. The effort it takes to, like, murder off a head. <laughs> You know, I don't think it's easy. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, never, sh- I'm sure I've it's not. I've never tried it, yeah. but I bet Probably that it's not. hard. So, you know, we're, we're really going on and on about this, but I'm just, <laughs> you know, there's so many little details and you guys really need to see it for yourselves. Yeah. And I think too, you know, it's, it's a painting that I really think exemplifies Artemisia's skill. And I think that we can certainly view it as work that she was proud of and that she meant to display her talents and the fact that it was made like by her which is actually going to lead into I read this really interesting article all about specifically Artemisia's signatures on her paintings and um 
The article is called Identity Signs, Meanings and Methods in Artemisia Gentileschi's Signatures. And it's written by a Judith. Uh-huh. Coincidence? I don't know. <laughs> Judith Man. W. Mann. Oh, that's even with, more interesting. I know. What a badass name. Judith, I appreciate this article a lot. But so basically, what this article talks about is the particular placements of Artemisia's signatures on her paintings. And out of some odd 48 paintings that are attributed to Artemisia Gentileschi, she signed 19 of them. So this means that about 40% of her works were consciously like autographed by Artemisia Gentileschi. And she really, you know, we can kind of view this as a way of her making her own declaration of like creation by herself. So talking about the Judith and Holofernes painting, her signature on that, it's a little hard to see, but it's on the sheet that's draping from the bed close to the blood dribble or the, <laughs> the blood spray. It's it's a spray. There's definitely, there's a lot of blood, but then look at the beautiful I know. folds of the fabric. And the she, elegant ugh. script. Like I said, you know, she's showing what she can do. And this was pretty common for the time for artists, regardless of gender. You wanted to, you know, you were selling your talent. You were illustrating what you could accomplish. Or maybe it's it's somewhere on there. Um, <laughs> I'm looking very closely. <laughs> but what's interesting about what she wrote on this painting, she wrote Ego Artemicia Lomi, F-E-C, and Lomi was actually the surname of her father, which is a last name that is Tuscan in origin, and her father was from Tuscany. When he moved to Rome, he changed it to Gentileschi, which is a Roman last name. And so she would switch her signatures from Artemisia Gentileschi, Rome, to Artemisia Gentileschi, connecting herself more with Florence, depending on which last name she used. So on this one, she says Lomi, and this is the painting that is in the Uffizi to this day. So clearly this seems to be a conscious tool that she used to connect herself to the city she was working in, to the patrons that she was making this work of art for. And how she kind of further portrayed her own artistic agency is that, you know, in the way that an artist writes something like, this was made by Ginny Van Dyne. Obviously, I haven't made anything. That's <laughs> not true. You have that really nice painting of that dog. Oh, yeah. That you did. That's true. That's a lovely painting. That's uh, my dog, Pearl. <laughs> Love you, Pearl. Um, <laughs> but typically, artists would sign using the simple past tense or the imperfect. And the imperfect would suggest that a work could still be ongoing. So if you used the imperfect tense, and this was even suggested by Pliny in his natural history, so it it was like very much grounded in a lot of art practice at the time, that if you used an imperfect, it would kind of suggest this sense of humbleness, like, oh, you know, this was made by me, but I could still make changes, and it could still be better, and it could still use improvement. And many, many artists use this imperfect tense. However, there were artists that would use a simple past tense, and in and in Latin, it would be F-E-C-I-T. 
And this would suggest that it was complete. So it's a sense of confidence, like this is done, this is perfect, it was made by my hand. Mm -hmm. An example of an artist that did that continually was the Venetian artist Titian. And what is really badass about Judith and Holofernes, what tense does Artemisia use? Simple pass. She's like, I'm done, bitch. This is it. Yeah. It's perfect. That's what you're it's getting. Done. <laughs> like, you know. Be aware it was made by me and it's done. So this kind of to me shows that she was really aware of her role in a male dominated world and a male dominated career for that matter. And that, you know, she just used these signatures as not only a way of kind of ensuring like the authenticity but promoting her own career and showing that, like, hey, this was made by me. And by using that simple past tense, that was kind of showing her own confidence in her work. Yeah. Which is, like, really cool. <laughs> she knew she was good. Yeah. And that is so amazing. Because yeah. as grad students, like, we'll, <laughs> we'll write, like, a paper and we're just like, this is the biggest piece of shit I've ever written in my life. I don't even want to put my name on it. And you're just so ashamed. And then, you know, but it ends up being, like, not bad. And, and yeah. you know what I mean? And so I, I would love to have an ounce of right? Artemisia right? That is, that's a really good point. That is so relevant. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, she, like, these signatures are, are so fascinating, and the author of this article points out that it's really, like, overlooked by a lot of art historians and, you know, feminist historians in the work of Artemisia, you know, because obviously a signature on the painting, that's just like a tiny, tiny little part of the painting, but if you study it in terms of the language that she used, the placement, you know, I think it really can lead a lot to understanding her as being like a businesswoman that knew how to kind of promote her own skill set and be able to work in different cities using, okay, I'm in Florence, so I'm going to use my father's original last name of Lomi. Okay, now I'm back in Rome. I'm going to switch back to Gentileschi. And so this just kind of shows her like savviness and ability to adapt to different patrons, different cities, locations, cultures. Yeah, it really just says a lot about how how someone portrays themselves to to just like advertise anything. Like when yeah. you think about like even just like this podcast, like the, yeah. different, the <laughs> different ways we try to kind of portray ourselves on different social media platforms. Like yeah. you have to be like smart about it. And this mm-hmm. I feel like is just kind of like the... 17th, yeah, like <laughs> yeah. The, the 17th century Seriously. equivalent of that. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, out of all of the paintings that she made signatures on, only one of them did she sign the back. Every other one that she signed, it was like a prominent placement. And another painting that's a good one to look at for her signature is the conversion of Magdalene, or it's called the Pentinent Magdalene, Magdalene. And this was at the time when she was working in Florence. And this signature is actually like dope. Um, Magdalene is sitting on a chair. And on the side of the chair, in gold paint, she signs off with her name. And this is, again, showing off her skills. But it's also kind of connecting her back to her kind of Florentine roots where... Her family previously, like the Lomi family, were known for 
gold work. And so she's consciously using like these different signs and symbols to kind of say like, okay, you should pay attention to me because of this. And I have this connection to Florence and my family has, you know, like a deep rooted, I'm going to use the word connection again, because I can't think of a better word. Um, Association. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So this was just a way of her indicating her Tuscan heritage as well as her artistic skill. And, you know, she she carried this through in a lot of her different works. And even in the work G- Gile and Sisera, <laughs> this is a really interesting painting. And it shows, you know, Sisera is about to kill Gile. And in the background, there's like a stone kind of pilaster and her name her signature is in the stone so this is you know the way of her kind of marking her permanence where it's like her name is literally written in stone and it depicts again like a female figure that's like very strong not afraid of violence you know she's wielding a weapon and like framed by that is Artemisia's signature so this was all incredibly conscious as Artemisia was signing these different works that she did and just kind of tapping into all of these different ways which she could appeal to different patrons in different parts of Italy. And she even painted for the king in England, so she did it there too. And she was just like a a badass businesswoman. Like, she knew how to move her work and herself and appeal to different patrons and, like, get her name out there, which, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and she ended up having a pretty successful life. She ended up living comfortably. She ended up being an artist who was able to support herself through her painting, which is amazing, in 2016. Yeah. That's amazing. And she did it. She was like practically a single mom too. She remarried, but he was like, a deadbeat. Yeah, he was kind of just like a, <laughs> a, a lazy piece of shit. And, um, uh, God, the the plight of the strong woman. <laughs> oh, man. But Artemisia, God, she just did it all. And I think that it would be really fun to leave off on her self-portrait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. I love this painting. She is wearing this amazing dress yeah and we talked about this dress actually in a class that we took Mm -hmm. just this last quarter we went very in depth on this uh, specific kind of silk that this dress is made out of that is so fine that it 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 reflects all these different colors it's it's like this very like multi-faceted silk that looks different from different angles and different lights and bottom line being that it is expensive <laughs> so she paints herself painting herself maybe <laughs> who knows yeah yeah and um what's great about this painting is that um we don't see the canvas we don't see what she's painting the entire work is framed around literally just her in the action of painting. And so you see her um, holding a paintbrush. She could be looking around her canvas to her subject matter. Mm -hmm. And she looks super determined and super focused. And in this work, she's showing herself wearing some of her best garments, which you would not wear this dress if you were painting. (laughs) 
Okay. Confidence. But, yeah, confidence. She's like, I'm not going to get paint on me. Um, but she also just has this kind of like messy hair look. Mm-hmm. Like she just kind of threw her hair up in a bun and was like, I'm going to get this shit done. And, yeah. And we can all identify with that. Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. Every day of grad yeah, school. Yeah, exactly. Like, the top knot, like every day. And this is the allegory of painting yeah. is the name of it. What, what year was this painted? Oh, um, let's find out. Yeah, we're about, we're gonna find out. Oh my goodness, where the hell is it? <laughs> and it's it's a really like fascinating painting, just in terms of symbolism. Oh, um, sixteen thirty eight to thirty nine. It's the title is self portrait as the allegory of painting. So not only is it a self portrait, but she is painting incarnate, yeah. which is which is the coolest. That's thing. so cool. <laughs> she was so dope. God and wow. yeah and it's it's and it's just a it's a beautiful work and I I feel like in this painting she did an amazing job once again at really depicting this like composed focused just you know in the zone mm-hmm. kind of woman and yeah. um gosh you know I just really appreciate that we all <laughs> love her right? so much Harness the the confidence and the power of Artemisia as much as possible. Yes. Yeah, and always always question um, if you're ever learning about an artist, um, which is a wonderful thing to do. Whether they are painters or musicians or what be it, really be conscious of the association that you're making between their biography and their work. Yeah. So you know that's really a big issue in yeah. the life of Artemisia and probably we can think of a number of, of artists who oh, have had crazy yeah. lives and and I, I think that it's something that we do. We we want to find meaning in art and we will look wherever we can. And if there's detailed biography we're going to extract meaning from there and that's fine. But you always should question and, and be sure that you're not being one dimensional when you're considering the work of an artist such as our girl, Artemisia. Yeah, and um, on that note, we would love to hear what you have to say about Artemisia, about her work or her biography or the connections you've possibly made or kind of what you think about our thoughts and interpretations. Feel free to email us at arthistorybabes at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz. Do we know what we're going to be doing next time? We don't yet. You know, it's kind of up in the air right now, I think. We have and we have a lot of ideas. So many, so many. And I think what would be really fun would be we might keep it on this woman artist uh, role mm-hmm. that we're kind of on right now. But if any of our dear listeners have any ideas or, you know, want to ask us any questions, we will take any and all input. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah please yeah. feel free to we'll send try us a and message. cover all the all the mediums too. I definitely, we're going to do an architecture one at some point because I'm the in-house architecture nerd. So that'll happen. That'll happen. I really want to do one on brutalism architecture. Are you familiar with that? Oh, shit. (laughs) And like defensive architecture, like in cities where they put spikes on sidewalks so homeless people don't sleep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. There's so so many directions. We have so many ideas. Um, And we still need to go back to the comic book thing because I'm getting into that now. I've been like doing some research on that vein. So like, Yeah. so, (laughs) So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, got some interesting things coming your way. Thanks so much for listening. We love you so much. We love you. Arrivederci. Art History Babes out. The Art History Babes.
Amen.